Welcome back to Cape Climate, the show where I talk to great people working on climate issues here on the Cape. I'm your host, Laura Parkin. This time, we're going to be talking to Aaron Perry and Daniel Donahue of the Cape Cod Commission about their Climate Ambassadors program. When I think of the commission, I generally think about their regional planning work. So when I first heard about the ambassadors program, I wanted to learn more. Turns out it's a climate program geared towards high school students. And it looks like a fantastic opportunity for any young person interested in climate, the environment or wildlife and interested in learning how to take some action. In fact, if you have kids or grandkids in high school anywhere on the Cape, they're eligible to apply. So stay tuned for the next cohort, which should be at the beginning of 2025. After that conversation, I'll circle back to give a very brief update on the Coastal Resilience public meeting that took place in Provincetown on January 31st. Thanks so much. And here's my conversation with Aaron and Danielle. I'm here with Aaron Perry, Deputy Director of the Cape Cod Commission, and Danielle Donahue, Senior Special Projects Coordinator. And thank you both so much for being here with me today. I know it's a big day today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Today is the first meeting of your fourth cohort, is that right, of your Climate Ambassador Program. That is correct. I would love to hear more about that. It sounds like a wonderful way to engage young people. But Erin, maybe you can start us off by just talking a little bit about why this program came to be and how it fits in. I know you're doing so much work on climate, and I'm hoping at some later point to talk to you in depth about the Climate Action Plan. But maybe you can just start by giving us a big picture. Sure. Um, and so I know, you know, Cape Cod is experiencing cr- incredible challenges as a result of climate change. It's impacting our, our natural systems, our, our built systems and infrastructure, and the people who live and and visit and work here. And so we know that we are incredibly vulnerable. We're vulnerable to sea level rise and storm surge and erosion and other climate-related hazards. I think we've been really seeing it this winter. Just middle of January, I was on the pier in Wellfleet and Max is like an island in the middle. Crazy. I know if you look at the amount of of kind of infrastructure and the built environment in our floodplain alone, we've got about $16 billion in assessed property value in the floodplain that's vulnerable today. So not even looking at what might be vulnerable in the future. And so I certainly think back in 2021, we completed the Cape Cod Climate Action Plan. And that plan was developed in collaboration with stakeholders and and entities across the region. It was really meant to be a collaborative process, and the resulting plan is intended to support collaborative and targeted action to address some of the challenges we face with climate change. It is intended to address both mitigation and adaptation. So Mm -hmm. looking at the hazards we face today and the impacts we're already seeing and how we adapt Uh, to those impacts and and ensure that our infrastructure and our communities are are safe. And then also mitigation, how do we reduce uh, the causes Mm -hmm. of climate change moving forward? And that really ties into reducing our greenhouse gas emissions and and slowing the rate of climate change, doing our part as everywhere in the world uh, needs to do to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. And I think what we, we heard and what we've certainly found through the climate action plan process is that youth engagement is really critical uh, to implementation of the strategies that were Why? identified. The, Why is that? The youth that were, during the planning process, the youth were reaching out to us saying they wanted to be involved. They're concerned oh. about this issue and they wanted to be part of the solution. 
They are the generation we know that are, are going to be even more impacted than we are today, but they are also incredibly enthusiastic about really taking action on this issue and ensuring that uh, they contribute to uh, implementation of strategies that reduce the impacts. I love that. So was it high school kids reaching out? How did they even know this process was taking place? How did they know to call you? Sure. So it was high school students reaching out. There are other programs Mm -hmm. on the Cape that do engage students in some of these issues. Yeah. And we can touch a little bit on those as we get going. But then there also was an active effort during that time to incorporate more Mm -hmm. climate-related issues into educational curriculums. So there were some students who were actively involved in this with our legislative delegation and at the state level who were were trying to advocate for that that change and incorporation of those issues. So I believe they found us through that process and students are busy. It's not the easiest thing for them to participate in terms of public planning processes. So we really wanted to find a way Mm -hmm. to be able to incorporate them into the process and then provide a program that could help connect them with other resources. Where was the, since you just said there are other programs, climate programs engaging youth, what did you see was missing that you designed this program to address? So what we saw is there's a gap in between where there is some information and there it is involved in some of the curriculum within the school and there's certainly elective options that the students can take but there was an interest in like how do we get more in depth what's going on here and then there are other organizations that do a fantastic job that are really just student-driven student-led so it's really for those motivated students and there's a gap or a space in between there between what they're learning in school and those students who are already in it and ready to take action and get involved it's not everything but it really does fill a space there in between and it also really serves as a launching pad for students to take further action they have a climate action project that's part of the program and so there are areas for them to be taking more ownership as well so it's not just an informational aspect but it's it really puts them in a good position to if they want to be involved more or engaged more there's a couple of other programs where they can move into and we we're in coordination with say like the Mass Audubon's Youth Climate Mm -hmm. Leadership Program Um, and a lot of our students move from the Climate Ambassadors into their program some of them do it at the same time but a good partnership that we've seen between what's available in the schools and what's available kind of for the next steps. That sounds really interesting and I hadn't really thought about the gap between the pure theory there's also you guys have a very special position here on the Cape as a commission, looking at the entire region, engaging with local governments everywhere, with all sorts of organizations. I would think that's a very different perspective that you can introduce to the ambassadors who maybe haven't thought about policy or haven't thought about government, or it's this mysterious gray thing up there in the cloud that people do. Is that, do you have some sessions where you actually bring the the government and policy pieces in? How does that work? We do. I think our unique position in that we work with our 15 communities, but we also work with individuals at the state level, in state government, as well as more broadly at the federal level, and have a lot of partners on the different work that we do. It, it puts us in a unique position to be able to bring that expertise to the state, to the uh, ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And so we've had the opportunity to bring different educators, scientists, communicators, government officials. We've had State Senator Julian Sear. We've had business leaders in the community come and talk about climate 
climate change and how it's impacting their business and how they're engaging in action. We've also been able this year, perhaps more than prior years, are connecting more directly with federal government officials. So today at our first Climate Ambassadors meeting, we have NOAA's Regional Climate Services Director presenting to the students. And we know that there are opportunities for students also at the federal level. So Mm -hmm. this is a way to connect them with resources that they can access in the future. If you had to describe the your ideal outcome, when you look at each group of ambassadors, what are you hoping gets done? What do you hope they get done that the program is achieving? Pie in the sky. Pie in the sky. Ooh, it's a big it's a big <laughs> question. I think uh-huh. the students are always literally amazed when we have our climate in Cape Cod session. They're like, I didn't I didn't know this work was even happening. Mm. I didn't know there were efforts or there were strides being made in this area. And so I think having that solid baseline of information and then also building those skills to be able to speak in front of a group and develop a presentation and think about how their own interests and passions can be connected with their interest in climate action. So it sounds like you're developing, really, your goal is the next generation of climate leaders with maybe a special tie to Cape Cod. Exactly. That's perfect. I'm going to hang on to that one. (laughs) I think that last piece that you mentioned is one of the most important kind of outcomes is that the students can see themselves, even though they have widely different interests or strengths, that they can see themselves participating in some way. To address climate change in the future. And I think even more simply, maybe, and I just hope that our climate ambassadors, and I think we see that this does happen, that they tell their peers about mm-hmm. the program and about what they learned mm-hmm. so that they really are serving as ambassadors mm-hmm. around this issue, that they are engaging others to learn more and to be more engaged on this issue too. That sounds great. Okay, so let's dive into the nuts and bolts. How actually does this program work? Yes, so they do have to apply. And it's for ninth to 12th graders, is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So high school students um, can apply. It's open to anyone on the Cape and Islands. Actually, we had someone from Martha's Vineyard participate in our first year, um, which was the beauty of of a virtual program. So they do have to apply. They do have to write a a small, I'll say a brief response as far as their interest in participating in the program, their baseline of information, what do they know about climate science and what's happening. And they don't have to have any knowledge. They don't have to be engaged on this issue. We just want to get a feel for... What are you looking for then? We're just trying to understand a little bit about them and where they are. That Mm -hmm. helps us as we're structuring the program as well, because Mm -hmm. we're looking for a group of about 15 to 20 students. So it's something where we can break up into small groups and they can talk with each other and the facilitator. But we also want to understand where everybody's at. So that way we can tailor and adjust our programming a little bit. You also do have to get a teacher recommendation or guidance counselor recommendation letter. Mm -hmm. And that's been something that's been very valuable for us to also just get an understanding of who these students are. And I got to tell you, they are an impressive bunch of people. The teacher letter really helps us, like I said, understand what they're involved in, not just the climate-related things, but who they are as a person. And I always joke around and I'll say, like, I don't know what I was doing in high school, but it was not what these kids are <laughs> doing. You, right? It's, it's <laughs> just impressive. And it, it really is encouraging for us mm-hmm. as we look through yeah. the applications and review things just to see that it's really just the, the cream of the crop of our next generation. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So. so who does the selecting? Do you have a panel internally? We do. So we have a selection criteria we established in the first year of the program and our climate ambassador team. So there's four of us within the commission staff who serve on this climate ambassador Mm -hmm. team. So we'll review applications and look through things. And then from there, we'll go out and we'll application. Sorry. Acceptances. Acceptances. Is it super selective at this point? I don't know how much 
you want to talk about that? Are you getting the number of applications that you feel you should? I'll say this. The first year that we did the program, um, again, we were you know figuring things out, and we, it was modeled after another program um, that I think had actually taken place in Somerville. And the feedback had been to have a real small group, so mm. to have 12 to 15 people involved in this program. Um, and we had over 40 applications come oh. in. We had to adjust our expectations and our intended planned structure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we had about 18 or, or 20 students that we had, had let in. I will say that first year was also unique because it happened during the pandemic right. when there was nothing else going on. And so we were a virtual program. People could participate. Like I said, we had someone participate uh-huh. from Martha's Vineyard, mm-hmm. which was really cool. But there were no other activities and no other uh-huh. kind of constraints. And so now I think th- the thing that we do see is that we try to fit the program in as best we can uh-huh. in between when sports are and in between all of the other involvements and activities mm-hmm. of these impressive high school students. Right. So we have had less applications um, than our first year, but still I think a robust interest as well as a distribution across the campus. Uh, that is my one, next question. That yeah. is one of those factors <laughs> that we look at is we want to have a range of students from all across the Cape and every we do from Nosset and Monomoy all mm-hmm. the way down to Falmouth and Bourne. Some of our students actually live over the bridge and they might be going to one of the charter schools. Mm-hmm. We have private schools. We've had both of the tech schools send students. So that's great. It's really, really a good range and a good range across the grades as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. We've had about 80 students. So Mm -hmm. since we uh, embarked on the program in 2021, we've had about 80 students that have went through it, including the fourth cohort. There does seem to be robust interest. And that's represented, I know you touched on the different school districts in part, but it's represented 15 different schools in total. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So it is you know, pretty broad in terms of its geographic representation. And then once you're accepted, what happens? What do you, what's the program structure? Sure. There are meetings basically every other week. So we have either eight or seven sessions typically in the program. This year we have seven sessions and so we'll meet essentially twice a month and we'll send an outline to them of of the topics that we're covering like I mentioned before, climate science, climate and Cape Cod, equity issues, communications, advocacy and policy. And for this year we're it's a hybrid program. So we're meeting some meetings are in person and some meetings will be happen virtually, which hopefully gives the students some flexibility too. It's really nice to be able to just hop on the computer mm-hmm. at this point and not have to worry about rides and, and driving and whatnot. But there's also a lot of value that we found with meeting in person and not just for us to meet them, but for them to get to know yeah. their peers and to recognize that um, you know, there's interest and there's engagement in this across the region. That's been really cool to see some nice. of those relationships. Yeah. Oh, you're in Falmouth and you're in, mm-hmm. you're in Monomoy, but, but that shared interest is there. And so, yeah, so we have seven sessions this, and each one of those meetings is broken up. We try to keep things moving. Okay. <laughs> we try to keep it moving. We always bring in expert speakers. Erin had mentioned that before. Mm-hmm. So we're having speakers who are topic experts or they're working in the field. We're helping to facilitate those sessions, but bringing in, say, in our first meeting, Ellen McRae here with NOAA to provide that climate science background information. And then we typically will work in small groups as well. So we'll hear from an expert speaker, try to keep it as brief as possible. We're talking like less than 20 minutes. And then we'll work in small groups or we'll do an activity or we'll have different discussions and just, again, try to get things moving from there. So they're hearing from someone, but they're also participating as well. I love that uh, exercise you explained where you have them participate in something or make decisions based on different perspectives. Can you talk a little bit more about that one? 
Sure. So that's an exercise we've used in our climate equity session where, like you just mentioned, we give a persona or kind of a, a character to each one of the students. And it's just really basic like information. We've looked at a policy issue. So we've looked at, say, EVs. Okay. Um, we've just invented one where it's like everyone needs to have an EV by a certain date. Mm-hmm. And so looking at that through a different lens of, say, someone who doesn't own a vehicle and they take the bus mm-hmm. or someone who is on a fixed income mm-hmm. and is not looking at purchasing a new car. Someone who works in a used car industry. Someone who... Mm-hmm. So a range of different people. And obviously it's not meant to channel specific individuals but just to consider a topic or an issue from a different perspective. And so then so then we have a conversation where they have to adopt their persona and share feedback of how this might impact them on a positive side and potentially on a negative side and have some have some conversation around it. And That's what great. we've seen and what we've seen is that it really has been impactful in the way that where the students will provide feedback and say I, I hadn't thought about it this way or I hadn't considered this and just this idea of trade-offs whenever Mm -hmm. we're looking at making changes or policy or enacting things you're always working with trade-offs and so just bring that to consideration where we didn't solve the issue there but we opened up minds to how we do need to look at solutions that are inclusive right and I saw that you have them each do a project at the end. I think, you know, this is really a way for the climate ambassadors to understand and demonstrate how they can have a personal impact. Uh, yeah, either at home or in their school communities. And it's not meant to be like a huge project or anything that's too burdensome on the students. We know they're incredible and they're engaged in all kinds of things. So we mm-hmm. want them to just understand how they can connect to this issue personally. So what are some of the projects that students and or sorry, the ambassadors have done in the past? Sure. So Anything we, that you really stands out for you? Is that an unfair question? No, I think there are a lot of really great projects that have stood out. All of the students work really hard on their projects, and they run a range of perhaps those that are more creative or oriented in the arts or communication to those that are, are far more analytical. And so just to give you some examples, we've had students who have engaged in development of a youth-focused climate news platform, a proposal to create algae farms to mitigate the impacts of climate change. We've had a program developed to collect unused food from local restaurants and compost it. Uh, We've had an after-school climate change club that was created to encourage peers to take action. Uh, We had a student that actually developed a beach protection fund or the concept for a beach protection fund um, that could be supported through beach sticker revenues, and that's something that she's continued to pursue in her local community. Um, And we've had students who have uh, developed sustainability guides demonstrating different actions that individuals can take in their own lives. So it's it's an amazing range. That sounds great. And what have the first and second cohort gone on to do? We don't really track them, but I think we could say in in each year that the Mm -hmm. program is developed, we have asked students to come. It might just be one or two students, but to come back and talk to Mm. the climate ambassadors about their experience in the program or what they're doing now. Like Danny mentioned, there's the Mass Audubon Youth Climate Leadership Program. So if they're participating in that program, which we have many students who have went on to, perhaps come back and talk about what they're doing there or encourage students to participate in their Youth Climate uh, Action Summit. So we do try to integrate the students, the ambassadors, into perhaps the next year's cohort. In the future, how do you envision this going? I think 
this was a very new effort for us at the yeah. commission. We hadn't run kind of these youth-focused or oriented programs in the past. And so I think moving forward, we continue to adjust the program mm-hmm. and we look for new speakers or timely topics or projects to bring into to the students' meetings. Mm-hmm. But as long as students continue to express an interest in participating, I think we're looking to continue the program because I think it's really important that kind of the, the youth are engaged and, mm-hmm. and informed and able to connect with their peers who are interested in this topic so that we build that more informed and engaged community in the future. It's funny that you should say that the commission hasn't done youth programs. I think that's what caught my attention. Mm-hmm. I was Because I'm used to the plans and the bringing stakeholders together and the data and the research. And then I thought, mm-hmm. a youth program? <laughs> that's well, so great. And I think climate is the issue that really brings the importance of engaging youth to the forefront. There's, I think, an argument that youth provide really important perspective on all the issues that we're engaged in, but climate is an issue that they are really wanting to support action and take action on. And so that outreach from the youth, I think, is what really helped spur the program and get it going. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what you're seeing in the ambassadors and if you see any change by the end of the program. I'm wondering if gaining more information, seeing, as you said earlier, oh, there are a lot of people doing great work here. Okay, it's not just barreling into the into the disaster. Mm-hmm. And I'm also wondering if they feel more empowered and if that's at all helpful. Have you noticed anything like that? Even a change in what they're talking about? I would say I think so. I know we are really aware and um, intentional during the program about, like you mentioned, this existential dread. And um, it's something where, you know, we give space within the program to talk about what are your feelings? That's literally mm-hmm. one of the discussion questions that we have is, you know, what do you feel about climate change? What are your your kind of emotions connected to it? And we've heard a lot of times that there's there's very real anxiety related to what's coming, what's going to be there for them, like what, and and I think a lot of it is related to what they perceive as, or realistically, is a lack of action currently. And and so we talk about that in the beginning, and we do intentionally have a kind of a positive action-oriented approach to the program. So we're not looking to to present the information of what's going on in the world and what's happening in a way that is is intended to bring you down, but it's meant to be like, here's where we're at, and then looking at the ways that we can be involved and, and take action and make meaningful choices and meaningful action. And so I think what we do see is by the end, and everybody's at a different place. I'll just, I'll say everybody's certainly at a different mm-hmm. place, but we are intentionally a, a positive forward looking track. But I think those the climate action projects really are impactful there as well as hearing from all of the different folks who come and present on the different topics. But I think the climate action projects um, probably really make that connection with them where they see a place for their own skills and their own interests um, and how that can connect to taking action. I think that leaves, you can't leave, you can't leave that without feeling a little bit more empowered. I think that's wonderful. Danny, what brought you to this work? Special projects coordinator encompasses so many things. Um, I, I, I got to admit, it's one of the favorite titles I've ever come across <laughs> because it just it just sounds like you get to work on fun things. 
and diverse I do. things. I do, and that's what I love about it. And so I am involved in a lot of the commission's stakeholder engagement work. I do a lot of work with our plans and formatting and design work related to what we put out into the world. But yes, I do a lot of work on our stakeholder process side. So that's how this one came up. But it's not certainly not just me. There's a whole team of us that have been engaged and done a lot of the legwork in as far as setting up the program and looking at other examples. We also had worked with not just not just the example program that we were referencing before, but also talking with different teachers and school administrations yeah. and seeing even nuanced things of when's a good time to actually run the program. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. It's it's worth to maybe just talking a little bit about the fact that these students have incredible teachers and counselors that are encouraging them to participate in this program Mm -hmm. and we try to connect with them periodically throughout the the cohort as well just to give them updates Mm -hmm. invite them to the student presentations at the end of the the session and just to note that they have some incredible people who are supporting them at the schools as well in in this on this issue and in the work that they do as Mm -hmm. students so Erin I noticed that you got a master's in marine affairs yes and I would love to know what that is. I'm sorry sorry to be so ignorant, <laughs> but it sounds really interesting, and yeah, I don't know what it is. Everybody asks that question. Really? It's really oh. about um, coastal and marine policy and governance. Okay. It's really policy-oriented. Um, but is it is it coastal? Is it actual ocean policy, ocean it's, use? It's, it can be both. It's fairly broad in terms of oh. the issues that it covers. So my area of focus was more on coastal issues okay. and estuarine issues. So I focused a lot on water quality and the impacts of land use on water quality and policy around that. Were you but custom is- designed for the Cape Cod Commission? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I started as special projects too. So <laughs> it was definitely, yeah, it definitely fit. I, I fit well, I think. <laughs> but I did start here working on those coastal mm-hmm. issues around water quality and, yeah. and how our land use and, and wastewater in particular impact our coastal water quality. That's a huge project. And Mm -hmm. you've got that plan and implementation going really well now, which is fantastic. Thank you. Everybody everybody (laughs) asks what marine affairs is. (laughs) That's funny. But it's great. And Danny, you're a native. I am, yes. Born and raised. Right down the street. Right down the street. That is fantastic. (laughs) It's a beautiful place to be. I I always tell my husband, like, why would you want to be anywhere else? Exactly. And it must feel good to be engaged in this kind of work for the place that is your community. Yeah. I was one of the reasons why I had wanted to work at the commission was just, it it makes a difference. The work that the commission does makes a difference here. And Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And I like being a part of that. And we appreciate all the work you guys do. Thank you. Now for the quick update on the January 31st Coastal Resilience Public Meeting held by that committee in Provincetown on January 31st. The committee is chaired by Michelle Stephanie. There were a couple of really helpful pointers. Calliope Shute from the Cape Cod Extension reminded us to please check our basements to get the chemicals out of the way of floodwaters because the last thing we need is to create a toxic soup. Melissa Millett, P-Town's environmental planner, shared tips for prepping for storms. There's a really handy list. I think it might even be a magnet. So drop by the town hall community development area downstairs and you can pick one up for yourself. 
And finally, Tim Famulari, the Director of Community Development, shared updates on the current Coastal Resilience Projects and let us know that the request for proposal was going out the next day for the consultant to develop the plan for the entire town. That RFP is available if you're curious. It's linked through the procurement part of the town website, or you can see it linked to the Provincetown Independent Public Notice section. And I've got to say, all of that was great, but I must admit, I was struck by something in that meeting. You know, it was a high-ceilinged, wood-paneled room, and the volunteer committee members were up on the dais, dais, and there were town's staff people and residents gathered. And I looked around and realized this is the reality of living with climate change. You know, storms are coming from these new directions, and here are residents figuring out how to fill and stack sandbags. We're learning, said one of the residents during the public comment section. They thanked each other for help prepping for the most recent storm. I heard somebody say, hey, your sons were really great. The head of the DPW, Jim Vincent, also came to the mic, and he acknowledged that there are some limits to what the DPW can do for individual residents. And I thought I might have heard some echoes of tensions that were there or being worked out because we are all learning our roles in real time as floodwaters rush down the streets. Jim talked a bit about the work the DPW is doing to improve drainage throughout the town and to make it easier for uh, residents to fill sandbags. One resident came forward with some amazing suggestions for how we can help each other in storm prep, and these were really well received. Another read a note of thanks to the entire DPW into the record. And I must admit, I I was really moved. Yeah, it was a sense of community that was there, but... And I'm just saying, this is really corny, but it was more, I had flashbacks to U.S. history class, you know? Tocqueville, you know, the French guy who traveled around in 1831 and then wrote the two books on democracy in America. And to paraphrase an old professor of mine, Tocqueville saw in America that when there's a problem, a group will form in order to fix it. Self-government. And there in that meeting, that's what I witnessed that wonderful, amazing, and often very messy process of self-government. Thank you so much to Aaron Perry, Deputy Director of the Cape Cod Commission, and Daniel Donahue, their Senior Special Projects Coordinator. And thank you very much to Sarah Colvin, the Commission's Communications Manager, for making the interviews possible. And thank you for listening. <laughs>